You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of solids. In 2 Chronicles 13, we find Judah about to face off in battle against Israel. Following the glorious climactic reign of Solomon, the kingdom by this point has been split in two. And we know that Rehoboam took foolish counsel from other young men, and he answered the people harshly. When the overburdened people asked for a lightening of Solomon's heavy-handed rule, Rehoboam doubled down instead. He walked into a fight with his words, and he thus divided a nation. One man's folly ended the golden age of Israel's national existence. Some years later, Abijah, Solomon's grandson and David's great-grandson, led Judah in battle against Jeroboam and Israel. The wide-angle view of Abijah's life was hardly the picture of obedience to God's law, yet in this snapshot, he seems to have been in the right. As the battle neared, Judah was outnumbered, with 400,000 set against Israel's 800,000. Despite the fact that Jeroboam's armies surrounded and began to ambush Judah's fighting men, Abijah's troops would win a stunning victory. In the end, some 500,000 Israelites, and keep in mind, these were chosen men and valiant warriors, they were slain, 500,000. The victory went to Judah because, unlike Israel, it had not forsaken God. Despite the victory, it was ultimately tragic a civil war that cost nearly as many lives as the American Civil War. You could trace all the senseless carnage and shattered lives back to this one failure, to the failure of leadership displayed by Rehoboam. You see, one man's soft character led to the death of three quarters of a million of his own people and changed the direction of the nation forever. Abijah's speech before the battle focuses in on this aspect of Rehoboam's character and past actions. As the two armies formed battle lines, Abijah told Jeroboam that he, Jeroboam, was able to revolt against Rehoboam and to divide the kingdom because Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them, 2 Chronicles 13.7. Now you might pass this over, but there's an important word here, irresolute, that's used in the ESV. I almost missed it the first time I read it, except that I noticed the ESV gives us a footnote. As an alternate meaning, the Hebrew word being used, and what we see in the footnote, is this connotation of soft heart. So the word can also mean soft of heart. While the ESV translate the Hebrew word rock, R-A-K, as irresolute, it means, quote, tender, delicate, or soft. It can also mean tender, delicate, especially in body, implying weakness of undeveloped character. And it can also mean weak of heart, timid, or referring to soft words. Keep in mind, at this pivotal time, Abijah is speaking about his own father. Maybe Rehoboam passed on the lesson of his own failure to his son so that his son would not repeat it. Maybe Abijah simply knew his history or heard about it. In any event, The son didn't miss the point made by a generation-impacting failure of leadership, and it's this. One man's soft character can destroy a nation. Abijah wasn't about to make that same mistake. 
Rehoboam altered the fate of his nation because he was a soft man. His softness seems to have come from a number of factors. His youth, his inexperience, and perhaps the circumstances of his upbringing. He was weak of character and delicate, likely because he was raised in opulence, wealth, and comfort. We also know that he wasn't faithful to God's words. We read about this in 1 Kings. Soft men come from soft places and soft people. It reminds me of something John Piper once said in chapel at Southern Seminary. He warned the students that the pristine and decadent campus could destroy their souls because it was so posh and nice. Those are the kind of surroundings that can make men soft. It can make men cowardly. It can make them slaves to academic approval from their peers. It can make them into men who compromise when they should be hard, resolute, and courageous in the face of evil. Piper's words, it it turns out, are somewhat of an accurate foreshadowing of what would happen to the seminary because of critical race theory and woke politics. You can also think of the Spartans, who, who realized that hard warriors came from hard training and a hard life. Or perhaps John the Baptist, who didn't grow up with white-collar amenities, but in a wilderness with sparsity and danger as his daily meal. Compare Rehoboam's softness to what Jesus said about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. Speaking to the crowds about John, Jesus asked, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Matthew 11, 7 and 8. Now, I've talked about this before, but the word here for soft in the Greek is malikos, and it can also be translated as it is elsewhere to mean effeminate. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Soft men or effeminate men in soft places, king's palaces, also wear soft clothing. You see the connection between all these things. These soft men live in fellowship with, they adorn themselves with, they're surrounded all around by softness. Their environment, their friends, they're soft, and so it seeps into their bones. Much like the xenoestrogens that we've read about are softening plastic, and they're also softening human skin tissue. They're these downy soft factors in life that make us soft men, and this is what happened to the soft men in Jesus' day. It's also what happened to Rehoboam. You see, Rehoboam was that son raised in a king's house. He was delicate and, as a result, dangerous to his people. He lacked the courageous character to confront rebellion with competence. Ironically, a wise and a hard man would have spoken a soft word, and he would have consequently saved the nation. Instead, a soft man spoke a hard word and caused horrendous national division, death, and untold destruction. Too often, soft men wrongly think, well, tough talk is the answer to every problem, and it's a way to make up for their own insecurity. In point of fact, what it actually does is it fans the flames of conflict, again, as we see in the life of Rehoboam and the nation of Israel. A wise man knows when to use a gentle word of appeal and when to roar like a lion. So there's a couple of valuable lessons we can glean from this historical account, and I want to start to unpack them now. First of all, soft men will get you killed. Soft men will get you killed. Men of weak character put the people around them at risk. And this only worsens as timid-hearted men of delicate constitution rise in the ranks of leadership when 
within any community, church, or government. Think of Captain Sobel from the miniseries Band of Brothers, right? He's this petty and capricious disciplinarian of easy company. He gets lost when he is going through fields and he tortures his men and as a result is wildly disliked. What we should really be afraid of are men like Sobel. What will really get a unit killed like Easy Company would have been if Sobel had been in charge. Right? What really destroys people and what's really a threat, what's really danger to people is weak men. Weak men endanger others. Soft men are actually incredibly hazardous to any community or organization. This is particularly troubling in the church because we have been championing for so many decades, just championing effeminate men in the pulpits and pews. We've been creating soft spaces to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, which has not surprisingly driven masculine men away, right? Masculine men don't want to talk about intimate relationships with Jesus. And you think about some of the erotic love songs that we have written and force our men to sing to Jesus. By the way, when a man is forced to sing a homoerotic love song to Jesus, you're asking him to take on a homosexual demeanor. We often don't think about this, but that's what's happening. Timidity or weakness in the face of evil is a curse upon any people. We are innately aware that when evil men arise, What we desperately need are brave men capable of tremendous and controlled violence. And this is a blessing to the people. Men to protect society, to defend the walls, and shed the enemy's blood. The blessing to a people is hard men. Now, we don't have to look very far to find modern examples of the danger of this kind of timid and soft leadership. For example, there have been scores of pastors who have, over the last couple of years, defended government tyranny. They've defended lockdowns, and they've defended the restriction of worship gatherings. They've forced people to put vaccinations in their bodies, and they've promoted this forced vaccination. Mandates that they've supported, which have destroyed small businesses. Right? They could have been, these pastors could have been using their platforms to stand in the gap for their people, to protect the businesses of their community. They could have been using their prophetic voice to say no to government overreach and government tyranny and medical tyranny. But instead, what do these church leaders do? They expose their people and the sheep of God's flock to government tyranny and abuse. Here's the reality. Weak leaders expose their people to destitution, destruction, and tyrannical abuse. This is what weakness will do to a people. Number two, Men need to be on guard against softening agents in our own lives and in our communities. If you grow up with wealth, ease, and comfort, the chances of you developing into a courageous, competent man of action is almost non-existent. This is one reason why America, perhaps the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, produces so few hard men today and so few men of competence and courage. Just as we should try to avoid xenoestrogens and plastic that then leaches that estrogen into our bodies and acts as a softening agent on us physically and in many other ways, we should also be people who seek to avoid places and fellowship that is softening us as well. So you should ask yourself, are my companions 
the kind of disciplined, bold, honest men who make me harder? Are they actively working to harden their own minds and bodies and therefore it's going to impact me? Or are they overweight? Are my friends lazy, addicted to porn, electronics, etc.? Are your friends pushing you to get harder? Or are they pulling you in the direction of softness and complacency? If you have fat friends, studies show you are nearly 70% more likely to become fat yourself. This is why it's so important to evaluate the people that you hang out with. This is why it's so important that a gang of hard men is what you surround yourself and what you participate in. Right? This gang will help you develop into a hard man physically, mentally, morally, and otherwise. So one thing we want to do is choose our gang wisely. Soft times produce soft men, and we have to remember this. It shouldn't surprise us that a generation raised on self-esteem, safe spaces, and widespread safetyism has turned out to be, well, soft, timid, delicate little snowflakes. Our sons, like Rehoboam, were raised in the lap of luxury. They were coddled. They were protected from differing viewpoints. And we wonder why they, like Rehoboam, are so irresolute in the day of adversity. We have a culture that has not raised courageous men. Softness and safetyism, that's not where dangerous hard men come from. On the other hand, hard times produce hard men. If you were a wise father, for example, you would expose your sons to hardship, to trial, and adversity. Hardships produce hard men. As men carry the load of the responsibility in trying times, they develop hard muscles. They develop hard character, hard minds. Right? They're resilient. They're not squishy. But instead, they possess steely spines for standing tall in the hour of darkness. So men, you have to find hard things, and then you have to go and you have to do them. You have to learn how to shoulder the weight of responsibility in the midst of adversity. You do this over and over and over again. Maybe it's putting a pack on and going rucking. Maybe it's lifting weights. Maybe it's playing aggressive games of frisbee on Sunday nights with the other men in your church, right? Find endurance activities that mentally exhaust you. Stretch your muscles, strain them. As you push yourself to points of failure along the way, mixed in with rest, this is when you truly grow. You get stronger, your muscles get harder. And perhaps more importantly, this is when your mind gets harder, right? So much of exercise is not simply about what you're doing with your body, but it's the way you're able to push your mind. When other people would quit and say, I'm too tired, I have, to, I have to call it in. You have the mental fortitude and the mental resilience to keep pressing on. You know what it means to push your body beyond the point of, I no longer feel good in the moment. So fathers, we ought to be exposing our sons in love to hard experiences, mental, physical, and spiritual. We ought to be seeking out hard things for ourselves as well. So find activities, find a group of men, and find missions that stretch your body and put calluses on both your hands and on your minds. Third, a hard man knows when to speak softly. I've often said in the show, we even had an episode on this, hard men speak plain truth. And a lot of people ask me, does that mean that you're always speaking like really blunt and really forcefully in people's faces? And the answer to that is no. In fact, I think a lot of times people read my Twitter and they think, wow, he must be like, a loose cannon. He's really hard. They would be a really hard guy to get along with most of the time. And then they, they meet me. And one of the things I, I hear, if somebody's followed me on Twitter and then I meet them in person, one of the most common things I hear is like, wow, you're actually a normal guy. Like 
yeah, not everything I say is like my Twitter account. And there's a reason for that. Twitter is a cesspool of leftists. And so there's a lot of calls for repentance and pointing out what is sin. And I'm also trying to attract a tribe of people who you're filtering out people, right? But we have to keep this in mind with the fact that, again, we're coming back to a hard man knows when to speak softly. Proverbs 15.1, for example, says that a soft answer turns away wrath. And so Solomon, writing the letter to presumably his son, is telling him, listen, you need to be a wise man and you need to know how when to speak gently to win people. It's kind of ironic because here we have this, you know, David, Solomon interplayed. Solomon learned all this wisdom and now he's giving it to his sons. Well, Rehoboam is not the son who heeded the Proverbs, right? Rehoboam is not the son that listened to Proverbs 15.1. He didn't know that fundamentally a strong man knows how to restrain himself. And so to measure his speech in the right time, place, etc. He isn't a loose cannon, right? The wise man isn't prone to angry outbursts. He knows when not to be at DEFCON 12. He understands how to speak in such a way to win people when he should. This is what wisdom is about. On the other hand, it is so often true, I've found, that men of weak character, who we'd call soft, effeminate men, are constantly trying to blast people with their words. Speaking harshly to people all the time is extremely effeminate. Why? Because it's not coming from a place of strength. These are men who are threatened and insecure. They don't know how to use their words to communicate. They don't have mastery of the language that helps them interact with others in a way that good, wise, godly, hard men and leaders should. And so what do they do? They just freak out at people all the time. They snap with their words. Again, this is effeminacy. It's not manliness. So these men, these soft men, their only recourse is to control people with angry or manipulative words, right? These are the men like Rehoboam who have to constantly remind others that, hey, man, I'm in charge here, right? The problem is if you have to tell people you're in charge, you've already lost control of the situation. A good example of this would be in your own marriage. If you have to tell your wife that you are the patriarch and she has to obey you or else, well, newsflash, you've already lost control of the situation. And you've exhibited quite a bit of failure as a leader. Wise leaders know how to win people with their words and actions without having to demand obedience, right? They know how to discipline. They know how to teach. They know how to create a warm and nourishing environment in the home so that obedience is as effortless as possible, right? It's always hard, but they want to ease that burden. They know how to come to agreements with their spouse. They know how to talk winsomely to their children. And then they know how to act decisively as a leader, right? These hard men lead in such a way that obedience is compelling, freeing, liberating, etc. Fourth, hard men are a protection to their people. We keep hearing in our society that authentic masculinity is toxic. It's an unfortunate stain on the fabric of society. And there is some truth here, isn't there? There really is a fake form of masculinity that is pretty toxic. It actually destroys communities, households, and churches. And some foolish men even say, hey, I'm a patriarch. And then they blast their wife with their words and they steamroll their children who are always cowering in their presence. And the thing is, that really is toxic. I would call it Will Smith masculinity. It's the kind of masculinity that slaps dudes in the face for disrespecting the same wife you allow other men to have sex with. It's a strange mix of bravado, ill-directed violence, and disgusting sexual absurdity. 
That's a pretty good definition of toxic masculinity. All at the same time, by the way, while failing to defend what you should, when you should, in the way you should. But here's the thing. Biblical hard masculinity, the kind that stands up courageously to lay its life down in defense of its people in the face of evil, well, this is inherently good. Wise, godly, hard masculinity, the kind that we're promoting in this show, says to your wife and your children and your community, it's my life for yours. Right? The reason you are dangerous is so that you can defend. The reason that you have a capacity for violence is that you can protect your people from wicked and godless men. And the world is filled with such people. The man who protects his wife by calling her to embrace modest attire, this is a good man. This is a hard man. The man who refuses to let his daughters go out in skanky miniskirts and tube tops and tells them, hey, we're going to put clothes on, whether we're at the pool or not. Modesty, according to the word of God, is still important to us. This is, a, this is a hard man. This is a godly man. The man who refuses to let the state steal his children's hearts and minds through pagan education, he's protecting his people. This is a good man. This is a hard man. The man who kills invaders, good. Right? He is a protection to his people. Even when utterly surrounded and outnumbered, as we look back at the passage now, Abijah what happens? He, he trusts in God. He cries out to God. And he's got a handful of hard men, right? They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. They're outmatched. And yet this handful of hard men could not be matched by even greater numbers. So I want to encourage the men and women who listen to this show. Listen, we're outnumbered in the culture today. There's no question about that. But God has a particular pleasure in securing victory through a handful of hard men. From Gideon to Jonathan and David, God loves to work victory through small bands of hard men. So the most important thing you can do is find your gang. This is why I'm so big on this. We don't need 10 million people to get together at a passion conference to listen to like the 12-year-old Robertson girl tell us how to love Jesus. That's gay and I hate it. What we need are just a few hard men competent in their households, competent in their marriages, competent with their children, competent in their churches to go fight and start building Christendom. What did Jesus do? He found 12 hard men, changed the face of the world. He went to war with apostate Israel and eventually would overthrow the Roman Empire, not through revolution, but through changing the culture like leaven, through the preaching of the gospel, through the work of regeneration. So trust God, find a meaningful battle Find your mission, find purposeful work that you can join your gang in. And in the words of Cromwell, men, trust God and keep your powder dry. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hard Men Podcast. Definitely appreciate everybody's support. If you haven't yet, go over to Patreon. You can support the show. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to early content there's also special bonus content that you get access to. And if you join the $20 a month club, you do get a hard man pint glass so you can stay frosty all year round, taking a lot of heat on social media because I like PBR. It's the best. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer is the best. You can drink PBR in your glass. You can also drink IPAs. I love them both. They're both great. Drink your Trappist Ales. Drink your Chimay. Whatever you want to drink in this glass, I'm telling you, it works. I've done it and it works. 
Again, appreciate all our supporters. If you haven't yet, check out wildernesswarrior.com. That's wilderness-warrior.com. This is Dan Burkholder and I's show. We're talking about hunting. We're talking about outdoor adventures. Got some new content up there now, which is about grilling steaks because that's a manly thing to do. So Dan and I got some steaks from Quinn Bible out at Salt and Strings Butchery in Illinois. We had ribeyes and we had New York strip. It's absolutely delicious. Should have seen the marbling on these steaks. In fact, if you go to our Wilderness Warrior Instagram page, you can see the steaks. And you can see Dan talking about how to properly grill a steak. It's not super, super hard, but we overcomplicate it. And so just a few quick, good, down and dirty tips to make a great steak. We did it a couple different ways. We sous vide two of the steaks. We smoked the rest of them and then we flash seared them. We'll show you how to do that in those videos. It's absolutely delicious and amazing. So be sure to check that out at wilderness-warrior.com. You can also get t-shirts and stuff at the website, wilderness-warrior.com. Again, thank you men and women. We have so many wonderful women, by the way, that support the show. Appreciate you as well. Goes a long way. It's a huge encouragement to see all the women who are supporting their husbands and their men and promoting godly masculinity. And it's a wonderful, encouraging thing to see a revival of these things in the midst of our culture. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. 